wouldn't mind standing with me, please. We're in the book of Acts, working our way through the Bible verse by verse. We're in Acts chapter 10, verse 1 this morning. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in the vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, send for Simon whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel had spoke to him, had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Again, this was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. Now, when Peter wondered within himself what this vision, which he had just seen, meant, behold, a man, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called out and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there, while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius, and he said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. And then the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you want us to glean from it how to apply these things to our own lives. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us now that we might leave this place afterwards different than the way we came in. Change us, Lord, to be more like you, we ask in Jesus' name. And all of God's children agreed by saying, amen. You may be seated, please. A few years back, uh, 
I was in Sacramento and um, reading a Sacramento Bee, the newspaper up there, and there's this great article about a, a Christian teacher from a local Christian school who was going on vacation. It was summer, and uh, she was going to go across America. She bought a, a pickup truck, had low miles. She thought it would be a good deal, and um, she got a uh, trailer in the deal, and so she's headed out, and she's all alone, single lady, and uh, she's going to up the I-5 freeway, and she rounds the corner in the middle of Sacramento's morning traffic, and all of a sudden the water pump goes out on her truck, and uh, she's stuck, and steam's coming down. She opens the hood, and, it, and there's everybody was honking at her, but nobody seemed to care enough to stop. And so she leaned against her truck, and she said, Lord, please, God, send me an angel. Please one with mechanical abilities. In less than five minutes, I'll just read it, a big, noisy Harley rumbled up, written by an enormous man, sporting a long ponytail of black hair, massive beard, and full tattooed arms. With an air of confidence, he jumped off the bike without even glancing at Dottie, was her name, and uh, went to work on the truck. A couple of minutes later, he flagged down a larger truck, attached a tow chain to the frame of the disabled truck, and whisked the whole 56-foot rig off the freeway onto a side street where he found an auto parts store, got a new water pump, and quickly replaced it. The intimidated school teacher was too dumbfounded to talk, especially when he turned around and she read the words on the back of his leather jacket. Hell's Angels, Oakland, California. <laughs> and as he finished the job, she finally got up to her to say, oh, thank you so much, uh, and was able to carry on a brief conversation. Noticing her surprise at the whole ordeal, he looked her straight in the eye and said, don't judge a book by its cover. You probably have no idea just who you are really talking to. With that, he smiled, closed the hood of the truck, straddled his Harley, and with a quick wave, was gone as fast as he had appeared. So, the first thing we need to learn from this article is that when we pray for an angel, we should always be very specific. <laughs> or we might get a hell's angel. And The second thing, God has amazing ways to take care of our needs, and in the process, teach us to become more and more like him. So um, we are looking at this scripture, if you're just joining us, the book of Acts is really a, a presentation of how the church grew when Jesus was resurrected. He said to the disciples, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. Uh, Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved. A few days later, he preached again, 2,000 more people got saved. The church was growing. There were difficulties, uh, there was persecution that started, and uh, now we're watching Jews come into the church, Jewish believers, uh, but we haven't seen any Gentiles. So this story that we're looking at this morning, this little moment in history, is of the very first Gentiles becoming Christians, of which probably most of us in this room have a Gentile background. We don't have a Jewish background. But it opens up a whole subject about the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the left-hand side of the Bible, and 
the new covenant, the new testament, the right-hand side of the Bible. And Peter is about ready to be radically changed. Here we are, first of the new year, it's the time to make resolutions. And, and, but Peter is going to be changed from the inside. And uh, that is, in fact, I think what the Holy Spirit is going to say to all of us. So um, Gentiles could come believers, but the Jews thought they had to become a Jew first. So you would first be baptized into the Jewish faith, and then you could become a Christian. That's where Peter is in his mind at this time. So someone asked me about when the book of Acts was actually written. We don't know for sure, but we can tell by the things that are not in it rather than the things that are. Dr. Luke uh, would have mentioned several very important things that happened Uh, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., so it must have been before that, the death of um, Paul in Rome in 68, so it must have been before that, Uh, and then uh, Nero began to persecute Christians in 64, so we think it was written in the early 60s. Is this too low? Uh, Turn up just a little bit more. Somebody went. Um, Thank you. And um, so this is probably the period from... Jesus' ascension, 33, to about 60, 61, 62. Um, Chapter 10, it's about 10 years after the resurrection. Uh, We're on the brink of a a new day in church history, these Gentiles coming in. But the concept uh, of a Gentile receiving salvation seemed impossible to those that were watching this go on. There had only been these Jews that had been changed. But... God was about to show Peter in the young church that keeping the law of Moses was gone. It was done. The old covenant is over. It is, in fact, obsolete. That's not my word. That's the writer of Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 13. In it, God says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to pass away. So Jesus said in Matthew 2.22, don't put new wine in an old wine skin. Don't sew an old piece of cloth uh, on a, a, a new cloth, excuse me, on an old piece. It'll tear away. And so all of a sudden, what is Peter to do with this mindset that he grew up in? He, was, he went to uh, Sabbath school every Saturday at the synagogue, and he studied circumcision, food restrictions, feasts, Sabbaths, new moons, all the things involved in the old covenant. So this is very important. This encounter with Cornelius is repeated three times in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit doesn't want us to miss it. Um, First of all, believers initially resisted the idea of evangelizing Gentiles. Peter and, and uh, John went up to, you remember, the Samaritans, but they were actually half Jewish. So they've been holding back. Um, they finally accepted it because God is speaking so clearly here as we see through this story. And then God will use Peter, uh, the leader of the Jerusalem apostles, if you will, to open the door to Gentiles. And it's interesting that he uses Peter and not Paul. We'll talk about this as we go along. So at the end of chapter 9, 
we left Peter in the city of Joppa. It's a port. It's a beautiful place. Modern Jaffa, J-A-F-F-A, then J-O-P-P-A. Um, so he had raised a woman in, in the city from the dead. Her name was Tagatha. And now uh, he is going to, uh, this introduction to this Roman officer who's come. Three parts of the section. The preparation of Cornelius, this uh, officer, verse 1 through 8. Preparation of Peter, 9 through 20. And then Gentiles being welcomed into the kingdom of God. Verse 10. Verse 1, excuse me, of chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. So Dr. Luke wants us to understand that this is a Gentile officer in the Roman legion. Now, no one should be attracted to him of the Jews because this is an occupation army. And this city is um, the place where most of the military are housed. It's where the Roman governor is, uh, this um, Caesarea by the sea, Maritime is called, and... Uh, this is a, a man who has a hundred Roman legionnaires, stormtroopers, under his command. There were six um, centurions there, we know from the historical records of Rome. So there's about 600 uh, of these legionnaires there. And uh, a legion normally had about 6,000 men in it. So Caesarea is this beautiful, prominent Roman city built by... Uh, King Herod uh, on the shores of the Mediterranean and it's about 50 miles above, excuse me, 30 miles above this city. Now that's Joppa, uh, modern day Joppa and right in about the center of that picture, we'll see it from the other side in, in a moment, is the house where Peter was staying and it's a very popular spot for tourists to come and uh, it is uh, here that um, this particular stone was found at Caesarea, 30 miles to the north. Now, I mentioned this last time we were together. This is called the Pontius Pilate stone. And, and I give it a little more prominence because I, I want to encourage you that there are many archaeological finds, in fact, going on right now. Uh, and they always line up with the Bible. So... Up until 1961, many, particularly German theologians, said there wasn't any Pontius Pilate. There wasn't any record they could find in uh, the Roman historians. But then uh, this Italian archaeologist, a lady, by the way, um, found this cornerstone, and it says on it, Pontius Pilate, uh, protectus of Judah, I mean governor of the area called Judah. Uh, there are also a few bronze coins that were dated from 30 to 32. And I only mention that to you, number one, to encourage you young ladies that girls can be archaeologists too and find this is probably the most important physical find in Israel in the sense of the New Testament in the last 30 years, 40 years. So, um, so girls can do archaeology and... Uh, this is a, a faith-affirming archaeological find. 
when you read through the Bible and you get to Pontius Pilate, well, how do we know he was real? Well, God made sure it was chiseled in stone for us. And uh, so here it is. A major Roman seaport. It was the headquarters of the Roman governor. So verse 2 says he was a devout man, this Cornelius, one who feared God with all his household, convinced his whole family as well as the servants that worked for him, who gave alms generously uh, to the people and prayed to God always. He feared God. It's a technical term. He's not afraid of God in the sense of quaking in his boots, but it's a Gentile who had uh, made the God of Israel their God. He's not a Jew. He's a proselyte. He's in the process of becoming a Jew, evidently. Um, but he has convinced his whole household that the God of Israel is the God of the cosmos. A family man, he saw it important that his children and everyone around him uh, would understand who God was. Now, it says he, he gave alms generously to the people. This is the same word we looked at last time, that Tabitha, the lady did good works. She actually knitted things and, and sewed uh, like sweaters and things for uh, poor people in the city, uh, in, in the city of Joppa here. And he prayed to God always. He was a man of prayer and uh, a religious man, but not saved. What? He was very religious, but he had never surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. It's common to find very religious people in the world. I've met many sincere Hindus, sincere Buddhists, sincere Muslims, even members of a Christian church who had never surrendered their life to God. They were very religious in the way they acted and talked, but they were not saved. They hadn't surrendered. Maybe somebody here this morning was in that condition. Church membership never saved anyone. Neither has giving money, alms, prayers, monasteries, rituals, fastings. That doesn't bring anyone to salvation because salvation is a gift of God and it requires me to surrender my life to him. Let him be Lord. We'll come around to that again. Verse 3. About the ninth hour, so it's 3 p.m., 3 in the afternoon. Um, this is the hour of prayer. It's, it's the time when the evening sacrifice went on in Judaism at the temple. So uh, 3 in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying his name, Cornelius. So uh, God sent a messenger to prepare him to hear Peter. Peter's going to come up from Joppa and tell him about what the covenant, the new one, is. It's strange that God would use an angel. But God will use a man, Peter, to preach the gospel to this man. Here's an angel from heaven, but God doesn't send the angel to give the gospel to Cornelius. He waits. God could send angels out to preach the gospel to the whole world. In fact, in Revelation chapter 14 someday, he will send angels out to do it. But until that time, he's left it up to you 
and me. That's scary, isn't it? <laughs> really, Lord, are you sure we're the right people to put this task in our hands? So um, it, it is um, probably, this is a guess, it's probable because angels always elicit the same response, particularly in the New Testament. And it's here in the next verse, in, in verse 4. He saw him, Cornelius saw them, and he was afraid. The most common command of an angel when they appear to a human being is fear not, <laughs> uh, which makes me think maybe they're 12 foot 4 with a 30 foot flaming sword in their hands. There's one that's mentioned with a flaming sword. Uh, over in the book of Numbers, so I don't know. Why? Why would God not have an angel preach the gospel? Because it would scare people into saying yes to God instead of people exercising the gift of God called free will, choice, volition. If an angel holds a 40-foot sword over your head and says, repent, I'll say, okay. <laughs> but if it's a four foot two young woman who says, you need Jesus in your life, repent. I got to make a decision. Does she seem like a reliable witness? Is there something about her that I see different? So you and I have this great privilege, a gift from God and exercising. Verse four. And when he observed him, he was afraid. What is it, Lord? At least he was smart enough. Cornelius knew he was facing someone who was much better than him. So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. God had taken note of the things you're doing. God notices what you and I are doing too. Cornelius' prayers, his devotion, God noticed. Verse 5, now send men to Joppa. 30 miles away, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. This is the apostle Peter, but evidently Cornelius has no idea who he is at this moment. Um, but he knew that he should do what the angels wanted to do, what God was telling him to do. So here's another shot of Joppa, an older shot in the 1800s. And here's a map. You see Joppa, about, that's the Mediterranean on the left, about the center, Caesarea, 30 miles above it. And uh, so Caesarea is where Cornelius is, the Roman soldier, officer, and Joppa is where Peter is. So it kind of gets you in, at least in the right frame of mind. Verse 6, for he, this Peter, Simon Peter, the apostle, uh, is lodging with a tanner. That doesn't mean too much for us, but if you were Jewish, you'd know that uh, tanners were unclean because they dealt with dead animal skins. And so that made them ceremonially unclean. And so Peter is in a house of a man who is a Jew, evidently, but he's doing a profession that is forbidden by the law. Why? Well, I suspect that the tanner was in Jerusalem when Peter was preaching and that he got saved there and now he came back and he found work. But if you go to Israel and 
you should go, maybe not this week, uh, but uh, soon, and you go to the city of Joppa, you'll walk up to that gate and doorway to the right. That, if you can't quite read it, the slide's not clear enough, but this is the church in the home of Simon the Tanner. And it's been remodeled and rebuilt, but that's the site because it became very famous after this happened here. So his house is by the sea. Why by the sea? Well, because uh, boiling animal skins is pretty stinky and you need a lot of water, so uh, availability. But you go to him and he will tell you what to do. So uh, the angel doesn't give Cornelius any more information than this. Peter will have to take it from there. So God chooses to use humans to bring the good news to others. Someday, during the tribulation, angels will do it, but right now it's us. Verse 7. And when the angel spoke to him, he had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So you remember his whole house, uh, our reverencing God, even the soldier who worked for him, evidently one of his command. Verse 8. So when he had explained all these things to them, Cornelius, to his servants and this soldier, he sent them to Joppa. So um, God is working on two things at the same time. That's, that's really not surprising. If he is the creator of the universe, he can multitask very well. Uh, Joppa, where Peter goes uh, from to preach to the Gentiles. He's going to leave with them the next day and go up to bring the gospel to Gentiles. A side note, Joppa is famous in the Old Testament for a prophet who was told by God to go to some Gentiles. His name was Jonah. And he was told to catch a ship in Joppa and go to Nineveh, a Gentile city of Syrians. But, you remember, he decided, God said, I want you to go east, and he said, I'm going west, and had the little fish time and all that whole story. But it's the same city that both men are leaving from, one in the Old Testament to speak to Gentiles, and now in the New Testament it's happening again. God is a God of details, and if you look close enough, you'll see more and more of them as you work your way through this. So now Peter, the next day, verse 9, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So it's noon, and Peter goes up on the rooftop. Now, those of you that have been to the Middle East, you know most homes in the Middle East have flat roofs. It doesn't rain very much. There's not a lot of rain runoff. And they are almost like a patio. And there's outside stairs usually on the outside of the building. You go up the stairs, and and then in the evening, the breeze comes off the Mediterranean, especially here right next to the city, or the city right next to the Mediterranean. And so that's where Peter goes to have some prayer time. Noon is one of the three times in the day when Jews prayed. Uh, they prayed at 9 o'clock in the morning, and noon, and then 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 
and the evening sacrifice was 3 o'clock, the morning sacrifice was 9 o'clock, and uh, noon is where Peter is going to pray, the sixth hour. So um, he became, as he started to pray, it says in verse 10, very hungry. Now that is very encouraging to me personally, because every time I decide to go pray, that's the first thing that happens. I, I get very hungry, I think. Big Mac, in and out something unhealthy like a pizza. And so here is happening to Peter. Have you ever had that problem? <laughs> You're in good company. He became very hungry. He wanted to eat. But while they made ready, they're making lunch, he fell into a trance. He fell into a dream state. That's all we really know. He's a big, burly commercial fisherman by trade. And uh, he's uh, very hungry, and God spoke to him in a vision when he's hungry about food. But it's not really about food. It's about other people in this world. Watch it. And as he saw, heaven opened, and an object, like a great sheet, bound at four corners, descending to him, and let down on the earth. So think about a, a sail from a sailing ship. And it's huge, and it comes down from heaven with a suspended like from the corners, but it's full of interesting things. And uh, so we're going to see an opening of the New Testament and Old Testament together. In it, verse 12, all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, ooh, and birds of the air. So these are kosher and non-kosher animals together. Peter is a Jewish boy. He's been raised right, raised in the synagogue. And these words were even more shocking the next thing that happened. And a voice came to Peter and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Lunchtime, Peter. Bacon burgers, whatever, lobster. But Peter said one of the most fascinating things that he said. Not so, Lord. Now, Peter's getting good at that. In Matthew 16, um, Jesus told his disciples he was going to go to Jerusalem and there he would be crucified and die. And Peter said to him, not, not so, Lord. <laughs> no, Lord. That's an oxymoron. You can't say no and Lord in the same sentence because Lord means my ruler, my master. John 3, 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Well, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Jesus answered and said, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part of me. Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So Peter's good at saying no to the Lord. We're not supposed to be good at that, okay? We're supposed to be good at saying, yes, Lord, whatever you want. The voice spoke to him a second time, verse 15. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. God is clear. He has declared these things clean. Now, since most of us here are not familiar with the kosher laws, let me read to you uh, a portion of Leviticus chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, of all the animals that live on the land, 
These are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a split hoof, completely divided, and that chews the cud, like a cow. There are some that only chew the cud or only have a split hoof. You must not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. Oh, no, no camel burgers, and I was so hoping for one. It's ceremonially unclean for you. The coney, uh, it's like a little badger um, or marmot, maybe. Uh, Though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is unclean to you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a split hoof. It is unclean to you. And the pig, though it has a split hoof completely divided, it does not chew the cud. It is unclean to you. You must not eat the meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. That seems a little extreme, Lord. Why pigs? Well, pigs are full of trichinosis. We understand that now. They didn't know that then. It's a parasite. Don't cook the meat uh, well enough. You get it. It gets into your muscles. It's, it, it will take you down. And, uh, and also bear meat. I don't know why that comes into my mind. I just remember working on a guy in the hospital with that trichinosis, and he got it evidently from a buddy that gave him some bear meat. So just say no thank you to the bear meat or cook it to a nice charcoal color. Um, all the creatures living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat only those that have fins and scales. Uh-oh, there goes lobster, there goes crab. But all creatures in the seas or streams that do not have fins and scales, whatever among them swarming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are to detest. And since you are to detest them, you must not eat the meat. You must detest their carcasses. Don't touch the carcasses. Well, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, there was this concept of holy and then common. And that's what Peter is speaking to. The holy became common when it touched something that was unedible, that was common. For example, none of the people, none of the disciples wanted to help a leprous person in the New Testament. That's why Jesus shocked everyone because the leprous people had to say, unclean, unclean, stay away. But Jesus walked right up to him, put his hands on him and healed him. So that which was holy made unclean things clean. In the Old Testament, it's just the opposite. If you were walking with the Lord and you touched something unclean, you became unclean, but not when you're Jesus' child. Okay, so there's a lot going on here that has to do with the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. So something that was holy is consecrated. Something that has has been made holy by the touch of God is consecrated by God. And something that was made common was called desecration, to be desecrated. So this was done for Peter's growth three times. Now, Peter has had a lot of encounters with Jesus that had to do with three times. You know, three times he denied the Lord, three times 
uh, Jesus, asked him if he loved him. So over and over again, Peter has to deal with these threes. Um, John 21, do you love me, Peter? He asked him three times. Um, now, this, this is not about food. Put on your thinking cap just a moment. Well, it says you can't eat these things. It's actually talking about people. What? God is talking about discriminating against people, and you and I are not to do that. God so loved the world, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever, you're a whosoever, I'm a whosoever, the whole world is filled with whosoevers, whosoever would surrender to him, call on him, would be saved. Now, there, this whole thing about discrimination uh, is not a new idea, racial discrimination or any kind of discrimination. Here's God presenting it to Peter because Peter's going to be sent to those Gentiles. Dun, 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 dun. That would be, most of us in this room would be my guess. So God has room in his church, in his body, for anyone, anyone. I can't emphasize that word enough. You may not discriminate against people because of the way they dress, their education, how clean they are or unclean. None of us have that privilege. We're called to be like Jesus. That's why they call us Christians. Now, let me give you a negative example of that. Most of you would know the name Gandhi. Uh, Indian uh, man who brought uh, passive resistance and really led to the British uh, colony being ended in India. But he was studying in South Africa. You can read this in his autobiography. And someone gave him a Bible. Gandhi? He's a Hindu. And, uh, but in a moment of difficulty in his life, he started reading Matthew. And when he got to the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, it began to speak to him. And he was so greatly moved by the Sermon on the Mount that he decided he needed to go and talk to a pastor somewhere at a church. And it just happened to be a Sunday when he went, someone directed him towards this church. He went to the church, and uh, he walked up to the front door, and the usher, this is South Africa, uh, the usher said, I'm sorry, we don't allow colored people here. And Gandhi left. And he wrote in his memoirs later, if Christians have a caste difference also, I might as well remain a Hindu. What if he had been treated correctly as Jesus would have wanted him to? What might the world be like today if Gandhi had become a believer and all that energy that he had to bring liberty and freedom to the world? So that's the subject underneath all these food issues, verse 17. Now, while Peter 
wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant. Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Just so happens at the very same moment, Peter's hungry, he gets a vision of food. These men who are Gentiles from the Roman army sent down knock at the front gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. Evidently, Peter heard this discussion. Verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. There's that number three again. Verse 20, Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing. Now, that's the Greek word diakrinos, and it's actually the word for discrimination. Do not discriminate. God sets them up. You're going to go have to talk to some Gentiles. Go with them. I want you to go with them. And suddenly, all the 30 years or however of rabbi training that went into Peter is about ready to be multiplied melted away. I have sent them. So the unclean animals and the sheep came down from heaven, but these men have also been sent by God to Peter. Get it? Verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men who had been, who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am who you seek. For what reason have you come? Oh, wait a minute, Peter. Holy Spirit just said, Just go. Don't be questioning them. They did. 22, and they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. You get to bring the gospel to this man. Peter's impressed with the answer, 23. Then he invited them in. Gentiles into a house. It doesn't strike us the way it would a Jew. What? Gentiles, common, come into the house and make the whole house common, unclean? On the next day, Peter went away with him, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. We'll learn in the next half of the chapter that six men from the church in Joppa went with him to encourage him. Two important lessons here. For believers... God accepts anyone. <laughs> so must we. I don't know how to say it any clearer than that. Secondly, for others, religion saves no one. So, one of my favorite authors uh, is already in heaven, Harry Ironsides, Dr. Ironsides. He's a really gifted pastor. He pastored at Moody in Chicago uh, from uh, years ago, 1930s to 1948. And um, these verses that we were just studying uh, were very important to Ironsides because it was connected with his father's death. Uh, let me read what, to you what he wrote. I have heard my mother tell that when my own dear father was dying, this passage, Acts 10, 11, was running through his mind, and he kept repeating it 
quote, a great sheep and wild beasts and, and, and he started again. A great sheep came down filled with wild beasts and, and like he couldn't remember what it was. So he kept going back to it and starting over. So a friend who, who's right there is his deathbed. He knows that he leans over and he whispers to him. And he says, John, a great sheep, wild beast, and, and creeping things. And he said, he smiled, he said, oh yes, that's how I got in. Just a poor creeping thing. That's how I got saved, by grace. No matter how long, how vile, how utterly useless and corrupt or unclean the soul that trusts Jesus is in the sheep that's let down from heaven. Would you stand please and we'll pray together. Thank you, Lord, that all us creeping things are so grateful to you for your choice to not discriminate, that all are welcome into your kingdom, and that it comes as a gift from you. Thank you, Lord, for giving that to us. And Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning that has not yet received that gift, and pray that you would give them the grace to receive it now. Christians, please pray. So I wonder if there's someone here this morning, maybe all the way through this, you kept saying, what in the world does that have to do with anything? But when I got to sin, you said, you knew you were a sinner. Nobody had to tell you that. If you have never asked God to take your life and forgive your sins, this moment is for you. We won't do anything to embarrass you. But if you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to experience the grace that we've been talking about, this is your opportunity. I won't do anything to embarrass you, but if you'd like to surrender your life, would you let me know that you are surrendering and you need God's forgiveness for your sins by looking up at me and raising your hand. I won't embarrass you. I will acknowledge it. God bless you, young lady. Yes, and you, sir. Anyone over here got it behind the sound booth? Yes, God bless you. You, sir, right in front of me. Smart, real smart. Couple, yes, God bless you. And you? Yes, in the back. God bless you. If I missed your hand, don't worry, God didn't. Those of you that raised your hands, would you please pray along with the rest of us? We're going to pray with you to make it easy. We're going to ask God to forgive our sins because we all need to do that. But if you do that with us, God's going to touch you right where you are. Everybody, please say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive my sin. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.